0: Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders.
1: Thanks, Ruth. This season we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading in a church or in some other setting. So if you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, Consider joining the next Transforming Community, a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders, offered in nine quarterly retreats. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org/tc. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. This final episode is called "The Principles of the Deeper Life," and. Um, he talks about the spiritual principles of the life that seeks loving union with god have two inseparable dimensions and so to help us remember that it really is recalling the pipe that ruth has talked about where on the one end the one end is designed for intimate personal loving union with god and the other end is designed for service and love to others and we can picture this loving union with god where the life of god is flowing unimpeded throughout. So it's not a sense of I'm trying real hard on either end to receive God's love on the one end or to give God's love on the other end. It's a continual flow, life in the flow of a loving union with God looks like that pipe. Uh, But there's some distinctions that I think Mulholland makes that are really, really helpful in terms of identifying like what are the practices of personal intimacy with god like if we're really going to say let's put some energy and focus on the one end of the pipe it's it's putting some attentiveness and attention to our inner life in a world that's so busy and so loud with social media and family concerns and job concerns It's saying, I am going to be intentional about cultivating my inner life. This is not something I have to win from God. It's not something I have to prove to God. It's not something, uh, it's not a transaction with God. It's something that I can access because of God's unending love for me. Remember, I'm chosen and I was chosen in God before I did anything. And I find that to be hugely encouraging. And he talks about some practices of returning to the deep center of our being, where God's very self is present to us in cruciform love. And he talks about detachment and centering as two essential spiritual principles involved in this return to the center, detachment and centering. And so what I see as detachment is the moment where we realize we are caught up in feeling like our life is about to end, um, I don't have anything left to give, I have an overwhelming feeling of being angry or sad or or, or, or disappointed, but where I can detach from that overwhelming feeling and return to this rich life I have with God, and that my circumstance may not change, My sadness may still need to be plumbed. My anger may still need to be voiced, but I can detach from that overwhelming feeling and remember that I'm chosen, that I'm whole, and that I'm beloved in a way that exists beyond that overwhelming moment. To me, that's the practice of detaching from that moment, that that fearful overwhelming sense and i can remember that i'm not that feeling i'm not that overwhelming sense and i i'm this is going to ebb and flow who i am is i am centered in my life in god and sometimes that's a breath that's sometimes why some of us meditate and we breathe in and breathe out to remember that that all of life is impermanent but my my life with god is rich and eternal and so um, I can I can experience that in meditation in the morning, but I can also experience that in a moment where I become aware that I've lost myself in the overwhelmed feelings. Ruth, have you ever felt that sense of needing to detach from the overwhelming moment? And sort of how do you find yourself? Uh, remembering that you are gods and gods alone again
0: well every day multiple times a day (laughs) thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) thanks for not making me feel alone in that
0: oh man um i like his phrase detach ourselves from all that is not god yes in order to center ourselves in god um and then without that we not only do we fall into a self-referenced existence but i think we also just get pummeled you know just get hit from all sides in terms of what can distract and so i think even the practice of stilling which he talks about in this chapter um can help to bring us back to what's real and it's so essential i find it's really essential to start the day that way um detached from all that is not God and it's not easy, is it? Because mm-hmm. in order to do that, we have to like really leave our phones outside the room and determine that we're not gonna open our computers right away in the morning. And um, there's a there's a real discipline and I have found that even with all that's happening in our culture, whether it's um, the COVID-19 crisis that we're in or whether it's the contentious political environment, whether it's um, the insurrection at the Capitol, whether it's, you know, the impeachments, like there's just so much in the external world that is pulling and calling for my attention. Um, Just keeping up with the news every day because there's so much happening just pulls me out of that place of being centered in God. And so to start the day detached from all that is not God and then to give myself moments when I need them throughout the day, um, one of the things that's become really important to me, and I'm not even doing it very well right now, is to have moments between each meeting rather than scheduling meetings on the hour every hour. Yeah, It is devastating to the soul to not have any time to drop back down into your center Yep. and listen to God in that place. And so even if we could schedule our meetings in such a way that there are a few minutes to detach from all that is not God and then to drop into the center of our being where God is, um, and to be reoriented to our ultimate reality. And, you know, the ultimate reality that God's got it, that God's yeah. got it and God's got us. And, you know, it's not all up to us. Um, or to drop down into that place of forbearance when we've been in a meeting where there was some contentious yeah. interaction and you realize, man, we didn't leave that meeting agreeing with each other. Well, can we <laughs> yeah. just drop down and, just say, that's okay. That's what forbearance is. I don't need to change that person. They're not going to change me right now. And we're still all in God. I mean, I think we need these moments. And then of course, these longer periods of time, whether it's retreats, longer retreats, or even sabbatical seasons where we drop even farther down into our centeredness in God, into the ground of our being are just essential for leaders who want to be in god for the world it's it's very ironic and contradictory almost counterintuitive to think that to be in god for the world means that we have to withdraw from the world at times right right but it's true
1: it is true you know uh, he offers some of the most beautiful prayers to help us retreat from and center and one of them is lord free me from care for myself Mm -hmm. you know lord free me from feeling like i have to be the one to care for myself at all times and at all Mm -hmm. moments in other ways in other words lord help me to realize and recognize that you are at all times caring for me that you are and in, in, in
0: some some of his work he actually uses the word anxious Free mm. me from anxious care for myself. Oh, um, yes. I think an Invitation to a Journey, he actually adds the word anxious. And I think that's helpful because I don't know if we'll ever be com- completely freed from caring for ourselves. But I think we can be freed from anxious care
1: that's for good. ourselves yeah Um, and there is a profound difference you know between mm -hmm. self-care and awareness body awareness mind awareness soul awareness and anxiously worrying about our next breath another thing he says is um the movement of stealing ourselves in god is letting god be who god will be and allowing god to do what god will do in and through us and then he leads us through the wonderful psalm 131 which you've led us through so many times ruth but O lord my heart is not proud nor haughty my eyes i have not gone after things too great nor marvels beyond me truly i have set my soul in silence and in prayer and in peace like a weaned child at its mother's breast that's a prayer of contentment a prayer for contentment Mm -hmm. um a prayer of abandoning anxiousness you know, and so the Psalms are are amazing. If if we don't know what to pray, there they are. They're our prayer book, as Eugene Peterson used to say.
0: Yeah, Thomas Kelly calls calls this a persistent practice, which I really like that idea of some of these things are things that need to be a persistent practice. This practice of detaching from all that is not God and centering ourselves in God needs to be a persistent practice yes. for us. And one that we will not know or see the results in the moment i don't think no way um we might feel like nothing's changing at all but i'm telling you this persistent practice will change us even if we don't ever recognize it other people will um because there'll be a quality of presence about us that's more calm and more full of equanimity and um so this is this is a persistent practice that needs to be put in our lives and in whatever way we're able
1: Yes, it is, and I I like those words, Thomas Kelly, such a such an amazing thinker and author. Uh, persistent practice, meaning I I need to bring my attention to it often. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I like that Mulholland says about detachment and centering is that it's never a world denying spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's only the detachment from our manipulative and possessive abuse of the world that enables the world to be the place of life with God. And our centering enables our lives to be in the world, all that God has created them to be. There's, again, another distinction that we're not talking about uh, calling the world this bad, evil place, and the only way that I can connect with God is by removing myself from it. No, it's saying it's the only way to be in the world is by practicing
0: things. Yeah. Because there's also a certain grandiosity that we can get into as leaders and I'm speaking <laughs> to leaders now. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we are, we got into leadership because we thought we were going to make a difference in the world and we're kind of wired for that. Yeah. And I think it's hard yeah. for us not to always be trying to figure out how am I going to have an impact? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to make my mark on this? What's going to be my contribution? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, that's very different than what Holland is suggesting for us in terms of being in God for the world and in a much more natural way, allowing God's presence to flow through and to make it clear to us what we're supposed to be doing Yes. Um, in the world.
1: And maybe what we're not supposed to be doing.
0: And maybe what we're not supposed to be doing, and even the attitude with which we do what we do. Right. You know, can right. I even do what I do and offer it with detachment, leaving the outcomes to God, you know?
1: That seems so much more free than mm-hmm. in saying, I will do what I'm called to do, and I will do it with all my heart. But if it doesn't work out, air quotes, that is not up to me. And so I can offer it with so much more simplicity and gentleness and lack of control when I offer it that way. It's a much, yes. much healthier way to live. maybe my blood pressure would go down. <laughs> Who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this quote from Thomas Kelly is how he ends this section and i think it's it's gorgeous uh we are torn loose from earthly attachments and ambitions and we're quickened to a divine but painful concern for the world he plucks the world out of our hearts loosening the chains of attachment and he hurls the world into our hearts where we and he together carry it in infinitely tender care Mm -hmm. i like that Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the practices of public intimacy with God. Remember if we think about the pipe, mm-hmm. now we're thinking about the other end of it where we the the life of God flows through us and into uh, loving service and acts of of kindness, of being in God for the world. Uh, how do you see, these practices of public intimacy with God, Ruth?
0: Well, Mulholland discusses two essential principles that he says that we can implement through our praying of the Lord's Prayer, and second, through incarnating the prayer, let your name be hallowed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. So he actually walks through the the Lord's Prayer as a principle and a practice for our public intimacy with God. Um, which is a different take on the Lord's Prayer, and of course, the Lord's Prayer is—it's um, like a diamond. You can keep turning it around yeah, and around yeah. and around and find more and new things in it all the time. But um, one of the things I love is that—and I think this is why He calls it uh, Principles for Public Intimacy—is that it starts with the word "our." Yes, you know, it does not start with the privatized "my Father in heaven." It starts with the word "our," which connects us to the whole family of God immediately, Mm -hmm. that we are not isolated, we are not alone, that we are in this web of relationships uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and um, that the whole spiritual experience takes place in this web, in this family of God. And so um, when we pray the Our Father, we're actually praying in the context of all of our human relationships. Um, And so, you know, the Our Father is, is really powerful, and, you know, we pray it, almost every time we gather on retreat, um, all, almost all eight times, I think the Lord's prayer is in there and um, reminding us at all times that we are part of something much larger than ourselves. And it does speak to the public nature of our life with God and that there's a way we live out our relationship with God in relationship with other people. Um, the way we, we use the name of Jesus and what the name of Jesus means when we use it, let your name be hallowed. Um, that this is, um, an expression of our own commitment to be in, in God for the world, in Jesus for the world, doing everything in the name of Jesus and that all of our actions would somehow make Jesus name hallowed, uh, make it holy in the world, you know, to live our lives as though we're doing everything in Jesus name, I think is an amazing way to live if we can remember it. I I just want to
1: add maybe one thing. When we say, and I'm just saying, I'm just repeating what he writes, but when we say, let your name be hallowed, we're not spectators cheering on <laughs> Jesus or God. It's a commitment to live our lives in the world on earth. Uh, let your name be hallowed here, right where we live together, in the co- in the matrix of relationships under which our father is the banner. And um, that matters to me in a world that where sometimes in a religion where sometimes as christians we can see ourselves as jesus is our mascot and we're cheering for him to get the work done this is a very different stance it's a stance of of partnership involvement and interactive engagement
0: yeah and of course uh, the will of god um, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And he talks about us being the will of God, not just God's right. will being something out there, but that our our very selves can be the will of God. Um, and so I think that's a pretty compelling idea as well. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, and your will be done in my life as it has to do with my false self, my, you know, yep. um, as it has to do with my surrender and my submission to um, the the self that you know me to be, my willingness to become that self, because that is the will of God for me. Um, That this deeper journey that we're on actually is the will of God. As we take it seriously, as we um, participate fully in this deeper journey of movement from the false self to the true self, we are actually being God's will in the world. God's will is not something out there that has to do with some decision. You know, right, God's right. will is for me to be on this journey from the false self to the true self. Yes. Um. I, so to connect this journey to the Lord's prayer is kind of an amazing idea, I think.
1: It um, is. It is.
0: And that's the way the world sees us. You know, they see a life that either is or isn't on this particular journey. They see us as either being completely self-referenced, even when it's religious, or they can see whether or not. We are referenced elsewhere, you know.
1: Well, and to that point, he writes on page one fifty eight: public in, in intimacy with God does not become merely an alternative method of manipulation, coercion, and marginalization and control, all characteristics of the religious false self. And it could, right? It could easily become that, but no, it it's an incarnation of God's shalom in which individuals and communities are valued. Systemic evil is challenged by kingdom values. The marginalized are received and respected as a part of the R of our the Our Father. The voice of the disenfranchised is heard, and the cycles of poverty are broken. Come mm-hmm. on, Bob Mulholland. I mean, that is powerful. It's not mm-hmm. just so that the Christians can keep their rights and get their way and um, have their spot in the world. It's so that all those things can be brought about, which is, which are the characteristics of God's, of God's kingdom, which we're praying for and participating in. He ends with the daily office. And man, is that a weird thing <laughs> if you're not used yeah. to um, that way of praying. What's the daily office, and how do you how do you see that incorporated into your own journey, your own life?
0: Well, the daily office, I think, is just it's a if it's it's another way. It's the the way from the Catholic tradition of talking about you know what it is that we do daily to cultivate our personal and public intimacy with God. Um, and I think there may be some different nuance than just your daily quiet time. (laughs) Yeah. But it is that daily practice that we have that keeps our relationship with God central, um, that keeps us open and available to the transforming work of Christ that keeps us touching our life hidden with Christ and God. Um, And so it's a time of centering ourselves in God's presence. um, There's, allowing God to or reorienting ourselves to God as our primary reality for us during this day. Um, There's a segment of it where we do allow God to probe into those places where we perhaps are too caught up in anxious care for ourselves, too dependent upon our own human programs for keeping ourselves safe, secure, you know, having power and control and affection and approval. Um, We, we let God put God's finger on those places so that we can open up more to being dependent on God. Instead, this is a time of abandonment to God. Um, There can be time for scripture and praying the Psalms in particular. Um, Christians down through the ages have prayed the Psalms every day, Um, maybe doing so in Alexio fashion so that um, regularly we are allowing God's scriptures to penetrate our lives and we're giving God access. And I think that, uh, a daily practice of lexiotype type scripture reading gives God a lot of access to our souls, a lot of ways to surprise us with stuff that we might not have planned for ourselves, which is what I love about that. Um, and then, of course, time spent in silence. So um, I believe what he's saying by concluding the book in this way is that this is part and parcel, it's essential for the movement from the false self to the true self to take place. And especially the practice of silence, where we can simply actually practice abandoning ourselves to God. That's really what silence is. It's a practice in surrender because we don't know how to do it, so we need to practice it. And so daily silence is just simply practicing how to surrender ourselves to God. And in that, um, God can do God's work in us. And a lot of times we don't even know what that work is, but in the silence, we're consenting. God doing whatever God wants to do. And one of the most uncomfortable things that happens is when we don't feel like anything's happening. And I hate it when that happens, but I actually feel like that might be the most valuable is because it's at that moment when we simply have to trust and say, God, even though I don't know what's going on here, even though it doesn't feel like anything's happening, I trust that you do, that you know, and that you're in control and that you are working in my life, even when I know nothing about it. And that is a practice in surrender. Um, very hard on the false self, but the true self starts to really love it.
1: I agree. You know, it's so, like, we want those feelings of deep interaction and those those tangible feel. Oh, I connected with God. And yet, sometimes that is the false self. You know, it's not bad to want those things, but sometimes the, like, that's the false self clamoring for attention when mm-hmm. we need to trust the drip, drip, drip of the, of the daily office, you know, and maybe we'll never quite know, uh, all that has happened, uh, but it's happening. So.
0: Yeah. And we can yeah. enter into God's peace in those moments too, Yes, which we need so badly right now. Any moments of peace we can find yes. <laughs> are of utmost value right now. So we can enter into God's peace in the silence and just experience it.
1: Well, I like how this uh, the season has ended with an episode that's felt pretty practical, encouraging us to think through what are the private intimacies with God, what are the public intimacies with God, some principles and practices that help us keep going on this deeper journey. Um, so thank you, Ruth, so much for your thoughtful engagement on this, as always. Uh, this has been a rich thank time. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Oh,
0: it's what been fun. What a great fun. conversation. Yeah, let's just close with Mulholland's last prayer that he offered um, in this book. Um, I think he sat so deeply in these truths that his prayers come out of a deep place of communion with God, and you can feel that when we pray. So um, we'll enter into our prayer posture of openness, however it is that your body can express to God how open and receptive you are to Him and how willing you are to enter into God's peace, And God's initiative in your own life and maybe also listen for the practices that God is inviting you to Uh, maybe the private practices you've got those down but you realize that you're not very engaged right now with God in the world Um, of course that's how we all might feel a little bit right now or maybe we recognize that we're very busy in the public uh, life with God but that our private life with God has suffered, and so maybe let this be a moment when you drive a new stake in the ground for the practices that you want to put in place and continue to be faithful to in your own life. O holy mystery, you who entered into the depths of my brokenness, that I might be filled with your fullness, and flame my heart with your indwelling love, that I might desire you above all else may my growing love for you lead me to offer myself to you through these practices of devotion and service through these practices may the light of your cruciform love break the power of the persistent shadows of my false self may your light illumine my darkness May your cruciform love consume all evil in me. May your wholeness heal my brokenness and make me a child of light. This I pray in and through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you so much for listening. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way today. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you'll immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going, so we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging.